Welcome to Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the psychological challenges that many successful women entrepreneurs face while building their businesses and how they have overcome them. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen, and I'm excited to welcome to today's show, Amber Furman. Welcome, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, Amber Furman is a recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. She knows firsthand the pain that comes with chasing accomplishments with the false belief that stuff equals success. Owner of Freeman Law, host of the More Than Corporate podcast, and creator of the Design Your Life Mastermind, Amber is dedicated to helping people design and live a life they love. Thank you so much again, Amber. Can you start by sharing with our listeners a bit about your growing up in a small rural town in the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a super, super small town, um, about 1,200 people, so... When you think small town, think less than what you're thinking. Um, it was it was amazing. I, I think I took it for granted for so long because it was so simple. And we had this, like, amazing ability to go outside and didn't have to worry about a lot of things that people have to worry about in the city. Also, it was a farming community. So on top of that, we had just this idea of hard work was just bred into us. Um, even though I didn't grow up on a farm, it was constantly around me. And there were just so many amazing values that were instilled because of the way that I grew up that I don't think mm-hmm. I realized until much later in life. Mm-hmm. What would be some of them that you, you kind of look back on and say were very um, much part of your mindset to be an entrepreneur? I think the one of the biggest ones is the ability to step back and just be grateful for the little things, things that I didn't realize other people didn't see as normal, like being able to go outside at night, sit down, look up and see the, the stars, being able to just unplug and relax and do that in a way that was extremely peaceful. It still amazes me when I talk to people now that I'm in Vegas that have grown up here their entire lives, and I talk about going outside and it just being pitch black and the relaxation of being able just to look up at the stars, that they've never had that experience. Mm -hmm. I've always said as we've gotten into morning routines and meditation and breathing exercises that I've never been one to meditate. And then I realized that my form of meditation was just different than others. Mm-hmm. My form of meditation, like we have this belief that these things have to be a specific way. And then I realized that like all the things that people get from meditation, from breathing exercises, from gratitude exercises, I got from camping and being under the stars and, mm-hmm. you know, a campfire with family and, and all of those things. But we try to fit all that into a box. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Looking back on um, you know, becoming an entrepreneur in law, of course, by founding your own firm, what, what can you tell us a little bit about how you found your calling? 
to be an entrepreneur in law? Yeah, I think my actual calling came years later when I got back to the idea of just being a support for people and helping people. The idea of law school, as um, you mentioned in the intro and we talked before, really came from this belief that if I accomplished enough stuff that all of the pain and trauma that I didn't want to deal with in my life was going to disappear. And so law school is more of a survival technique for me, a survival mechanism. When I was finally working as an attorney, I was running myself ragged. I was um, putting everything else on hold to focus on working these 60, 70, 80-hour weeks with the expectation that a six-figure income and a law degree would make it all go away. Mm-hmm. And when I got that six-figure income and a law degree, it obviously didn't go away, mm-hmm. and I had to reevaluate my life. And I wanted to hit the reset button and go back to bartending and figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And somebody said to me, you know, you should open your own law firm. What do you have to lose? If you're going to let this all go anyways, then why not try your own thing for a little bit? And if it doesn't work, then you're in the same spot you're in now. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, I've never wanted to own my own business. This is an awful, awful idea. But they're right. Mm-hmm. And it was the best decision ever. And why were they right? I mean, obviously, there was so much that was different about business ownership and entrepreneurism that I had not experienced previously all I had in my head was my mom telling me growing up you want security you want safety don't be an entrepreneur you don't want to have to worry about paying yourself and that's what kept repeating in my head Mm -hmm. when I started my law firm I realized the amount of freedom that came along with that the ability to live life on my terms the ability to decide what cases I wanted to take and what cases I didn't want to take and make decisions that affected my life instead of showing up, working for somebody else, busting my ass, and then getting to a point where um, I got to live my life after that. It became this work-life personal harmony mm-hmm. that I think we all strive for that is a conscious decision every single day. And I realized that that's much more achievable when you're in complete control. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. There's also the sense that you were able to recognize that nobody's perfect and that you can kind of not go so hard on yourself or be so critical. How do you think that you got to that place? You know, sometimes I think I'm still trying. Um, I have to have a lot of people around me that remind me that nobody's perfect. And I also think it's funny because my coach and I were just having this conversation and she says, you've been using the word clarity a lot. And I said, well, yeah, I need clarity. I need clarity. And Mm -hmm. she says, do you realize that clarity is just a perfectionist way of trying not Mm -hmm. to say the word perfect? Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, crap. So Mm -hmm. I think that it's, again, an intentional conscious decision to say, okay, imperfect action, move forward. You realize really quickly, though, as an entrepreneur, that if you wait for something to be perfect, it's never going to launch. 
So when Mm -hmm. your income depends on getting a product out, when your income depends on getting a client to sign with you, when your income depends on doing the things and you're waiting until it's perfect to do those things, you start to realize one has to go. You either got to find another way to make money or you got to do something that's imperfect. And what's really interesting to me is that every time I've pushed something out that I thought, man, this is going to suck, but I don't have any other choice. Those are the things that always resonate the most with people because Mm -hmm. people want to know that they're not the only ones that are struggling. They're not the only ones that are stumbling, that this idea of perfect that we portray onto others, this pedestal that we put them on is completely Mm self-manufactured. And when you allow yourself to show up imperfect, you actually relate to others on a level that you could never have expected because that's what they need to see and that's what they need to feel. Mm Mm-hmm. So in many ways, you're someone who benefits from pushing yourself out of her comfort zone. I do benefit from pushing that myself out of my comfort zone every day. It is a, it is a um, challenge I give myself every single day. And that you've been doing since, since, since you were real little. I mean, you, you left yeah, I think so. a little area to go off and do your own thing, opened your own business. And where do you think that comes from the, you know, in, in essence, you take risks. Yeah, I think that there's a big difference between the risks that I took before 2016 and the risks I took after. Because mm-hmm. the risks that I took before 2016, they didn't seem like risks to me. They seemed like necessities. If I want to have the life that I want, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. If I want to have... If I want this pain to go away, I have to do this. Mm-hmm. So the the um, the consequence that I had created in my mind was worse than the fear of the action. In 2016, when I had my little meltdown because my mm-hmm. world didn't get better, and I started obstacle course racing and started intentionally pushing myself out of my comfort zone for things that did not necessarily relate to getting to a particular place so that all the pain goes away. That's when I started actually pushing myself out of my comfort zone as a choice. Before that, um, everything that I accomplished, I was in survival mode. Mm -hmm. After 2016, it was finally choosing to be uncomfortable and choosing to live life on my terms. Mm-hmm. And being able to take those risks made you feel confident, or you were confident to take those risks? Yeah, it definitely increased confidence, and it increases your confidence in all areas of your life. So when I'm working with my clients and when I'm working with new entrepreneurs, I always tell them, go out and do something new. It doesn't matter whether it's work-related. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter whether it's business-related. Mm-hmm. Go run a marathon, go run an obstacle course, go volunteer somewhere that makes you, that, that maybe you haven't volunteered at before. Go meet people you haven't met before mm-hmm. because our brains aren't capable of conceptualizing information. So in, what happens is when you, when you convince your brain you're strong enough to do something, it's like, oh, I can do it, I can do it. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden that bleeds into other areas of your life. And that was the unintended result when I started racing obstacle course races is that Mm -hmm. my business came shortly after that about a year after that it was like oh I've been afraid of this for so long but if I can do all of these things 
then I can also do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone is so important. Mm -hmm. Would you consider yourself someone who is always fit in? No. No, I, I would consider myself somebody who never needed to fit in. And so then I was flexible enough to be able to fit in in multiple situations, if that makes sense at all. No, actually, I didn't have the, a click. Say, say that again, because, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I kind of get it. Say it Say it again. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have a click of people that I hung out with. Mm-hmm. I didn't have one single group of people. I could bounce around between the religious people that were – I grew up in a very religious town, so I could bounce around between the the religious people. I could bounce around between the people who didn't go to church. I could bounce around between the jocks and the smart kids and, mm-hmm. you know, all of these little cliques I could fit into. And I think the reason that I could do that is because I didn't feel like I needed to fit in with any of them. Mm-hmm. So I could just show up. Like I didn't need, there was no peer pressure to do things that I didn't want to do. Mm-hmm. I was very clear on what my goals were and I was going to hang out with who I wanted to hang out with and do the things that I wanted to do that would lead me closer to my goals. And mm-hmm. I was not willing to sacrifice those for peer pressure. And mm-hmm. I didn't realize until I got older just how much that was ingrained in who I am and who I was mm-hmm. as a kid until I looked back and really thought about it. And my mom and I reflect on it. And she'll say, you know, I was waiting for you to come home and tell me that you got drunk or you got high or you got pregnant. Mm-hmm. And it just mm-hmm. never came because you didn't care. I didn't date in high school. I wouldn't mm-hmm. have gone to prom if I, if um, a friend hadn't basically forced me to go. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was mm-hmm. never important mm-hmm. to me. So I, I stayed true to the things that were important to me, and that allowed me to fit in with different groups. And has that been a comfort or sometimes also difficult to be true to the things that are important to you? It's been both. It's been a comfort for sure. It's also been difficult to ask myself why. Like there are times where I'm involved in so many things that I have to step back and say, okay, what's the purpose of being involved in these? I'm Mm -hmm. one person. I have so much, I only have so much energy and time and effort to give. And I need to decide which ones are actually going to move me closer to my goals. So Mm -hmm. there comes a point in time where you're involved in too much and then you got to step back and say, okay, what? do I really want to be involved in mm-hmm. and, and kind of readjust? Mm-hmm. You actually talk about how being a lawyer is the right fit for you emotionally as you're not paid to take on your client's emotions. Is that part of what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I definitely, I love the law. I don't know that I always love practicing it. Mm-hmm. I do love the law, though. But it's the result that I get from my clients. It's the moments that I know that I've given a client a peace of mind or Mm -hmm. I know that I've kept a family together. And it's the Mm -hmm. same reason that I found coaching so comfortable and speaking and podcasting and all of those things Mm -hmm. so comfortable is because it's the result, right? It's the peace of mind that I can give someone to know that we can't always control the outcome, Mm -hmm. but we can know that we took control of what we could and made the choices that were best for us 
with the knowledge and information and tools that we had available mm -hmm. so that no matter what the outcome is, we can find some solace in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is, I think, something that you consciously or unconsciously lived by since a young woman. Yeah, I think originally it was very unconscious, and now it's a choice that I choose every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some women entrepreneurs have difficulty asking for what they think they deserve. Have you ever experienced this? And if so, what have you done to overcome it? Oh my gosh, yes. And <laughs> honestly, this is a recent this is a recent overcoming for me. I um recently got my trainer certification in neurolinguistics programming and the things that I learned through that certification really helped me understand my relationship with myself and my relationship with emotions and honestly, for the first time, truly, truly love myself and know mm -hmm. my worth. And it's a difficult question to answer because there's not one path for every single person. Um, the only thing that I can say is that as hard as it is to hear, if you are having a problem asking for what you think you deserve, then there is unconsciously a question of whether you actually deserve it in the first place and that's mm -hmm. where you have to start it's mm -hmm. not the question because if you knew you deserved it if you had that self-worth and that self-love then mm -hmm. you wouldn't have a problem asking for it mm -hmm. too many times we focus on the wrong thing we focus on how do I ask for it help me you know with the actual language when mm -hmm. instead what we need to be focusing on is why don't I think I deserve it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's an easier conversation between you and you now. It is a very easy, much easier conversation. That was not English. It is, a, <laughs> it is definitely an easier conversation with, between me and me because <laughs> the boundaries, you know, it's really interesting. When I think back on my life, I know that there were always these bright lines that I wasn't willing to cross. Mm -hmm. And they were who I am and what I deserve. But because my self-worth was so low, I was willing to lose certain parts of me in relationships and mm -hmm. in business situations until I got to that point that said, this is a line I won't cross. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And what I've learned is that the more I respect and value and love myself, the closer that that line actually gets. So it's no longer like I morally won't do this. It is now this is not in alignment with my goals and what I want. Mm -hmm. And that is completely okay. Mm -hmm. And the other person's response to me saying that that's okay is not my responsibility. Mm -hmm. And once you really, truly, like we can say it, but once you believe it, it's a game changer for your life. Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, related, although it kind of goes a little bit to the right here uh, in terms of off the course. But you talk about not wanting, how important it was to realize that you didn't want to be identified as broken in terms of doing a lot of self-help, if I remember correctly, mentoring and stuff like that. And I think it would be really helpful for the audience to hear a little bit about your thinking behind that and why that was so important to you. Yeah, when I talk, you know, in the past, when I would talk about my meltdown, 
which was panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and the beginning of my therapy experience. When I would talk about that, I would talk about it as a breakdown, and I would talk about myself as being broken. Mm-hmm. And I realized, you know, obviously the words we say to ourselves and others are extremely important. Mm-hmm. And when you, com- when you constantly describe yourself as broken, you're now looking for somebody to fix you. And when you're looking for somebody to fix you, you're giving control of your life to the person that you think Mm-hmm. can fix you. Mm-hmm. And so unconsciously what would happen is I would get in rooms of people who would respect me for who I am and what I've accomplished. Yet because I didn't think I deserved to be in that room because I'm I was in my head broken, I would look for the person who would fix me and then I would shrink. Mm-hmm. I would shrink down to the person that they could fix for lack mm-hmm. of a better word. Mm-hmm. And at some point in time I, I quit using that word and I started showing up to be taught mm-hmm. and to learn instead of being fixed. Because mm-hmm. when you show up to say, what can I learn from you? Then you take complete control over your growth and you take complete control over the direction of your life. When you say, can you fix me? You're a hands off approach and somebody else has all the control. And then when your life gets better, and this was the mistake I made for a long time, when your life gets better, you give the credit for your life getting better to the person that you think fixed you mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. of taking credit for yourself for doing the work. Mm-hmm. So whenever my clients thank me, they're like, thank you so much for changing my life. I immediately make sure that they change their language because I didn't do it. Mm -hmm. I helped them find the tools. I Mm -hmm. helped them find the resources they need. I was Mm -hmm. a guide for them. They Mm -hmm. did the work. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. need, as especially as women, we need to take responsibility and own how amazing we are in Mm -hmm. taking control of our life and the things that we do. And we need to stop giving control of that to the people around us. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's great. I really appreciate that. I think that's helpful for, for the people who were listening to us. Um, let, let me ask you one last question, which is, has your upbringing made it harder or easier for you to master a mindset for success? Oh, you know, I, I feel like this question could go both ways. Mm-hmm. However, I think in the long term, the answer is easier. It it has given me a trust in knowing that, you know, before I had the self-worth, before I had the first, the, the self-love, I deep down inside had this trust that I was capable of so much more because mm-hmm. of all of the trauma that I had been through and because of everything that I had accomplished in a small town. Mm-hmm. Once I got the self-love, it, I didn't have to look so far for the self-trust. But mm-hmm. what would happen is once I got to that point where I felt like it was all falling apart, I would find that trust to move forward. And now I just, I don't have to fall apart to know that mm-hmm. the trust is there. Mm-hmm. Great. Um, thank you so much. Can you let me know, let us know, um, our audience, where they can find you um, on, online to learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. Probably the best way to find just a concentrated 
way to get a hold of me is on my podcast website. It's morethancorporate.com. From that website, you can find um, my podcast, my podcast, of course. You can also find links to any coaching or masterminds, and you can book a call with me if there's anything that you want to discuss. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Amber. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.